0: Australia, gold and a world record. Now it's Donovan Bailey trying to pick up runners. Donovan Bailey is putting on a third. He's got it. 9 eight, four, a world record for Donovan Bailey and a gold medal. A perfect
1: score: 10.0 for Dashi Combination. A perfect score. That's In over 100 years, nobody's won as many medals at the Olympic Games in any sport than this great champion, Michael Phelps. Usain Bolt, sprinting
0: ahead, went by Daylight and setting a world record, 9.68. The wind is okay. How easy was that?
1: It is off the podium, an Olympics podcast coming your way today. For an athlete interview, they're back a few weeks away, of course, for the World Cup. Now that that is done and dusted, we are back into the bread and butter of Off the Podium, out athlete interviews, and so excited for today's interview, because you are going to go gobbledygook for Zach Stublity Cook. That is right. The man, the myth, the legend himself, Zach, is on the show. Dominant force in the 200-metre breaststroke in swimming over the last two years, just to give you a bit of an idea of what he's achieved in the last two years. World champion, Commonwealth Games champion, world record holder, Olympic record holder, and Olympic champion. Broke a very long drought for Australia at the Olympic Games for men for breaststroke. 64 years it had been for an Australian male to win a breaststroking gold medal since Ian O'Brien in the 200 metre breaststroke back in Tokyo in 1964. So from Tokyo to Tokyo, you'll hear Zach talk about what that meant to him to break that record and to kind of bookend those Olympic gold medals between Tokyo and Tokyo in the 200-meter breaststroke. And it's a very open and honest chat here with Zach. Zach goes into a lot of details about overcoming adversity, his mental challenges that he had in between a Commonwealth Games appearance in 2018 right up through to that Olympic gold medal in Tokyo, and just really how he had to overcome a lot to get to that point and how he very nearly much gave up swimming after the Commonwealth Games in 2018. So it's a very open and honest chat here with Zach. You're going to learn all about that and also learn about his passion for one thing in particular – Coffee. We could get him back on this show and just talk to him for an hour about coffee. And I'll say one thing. Generally, when I do these interviews, I'm sitting here drinking a cup of coffee, usually at the beginning, usually drink it by halfway through the interviews. And I'm just I'm just sipping on Nescafe, Blend 43. And here he is basically talking about all this amazing coffee stuff that you'll hear in this interview too. So if you ever thought you were gonna listen to an interview and off the podium with an Olympic champion and we're gonna talk about coffee, then this is the interview for you. Lots to get to here. You're gonna love this chat. Here is our chat with Olympic champion in the sport of swimming from Australia, Zach Stublety Cook. Very excited to be able to welcome our next guest to Off the Podium today. Bit of a stellar resume, just a few things I need to read out here on his CV, uh, particularly Commonwealth Games earlier this year at the time recording this. A couple of medals, four to be precise, two gold, two silver. World Championships this year as well, a gold and a silver for this program, the one that stands out, of course, the most Olympic champion in the 200-meter breaststroke, as well as a bronze medalist in the 4x100-meter mixed medley. And on top of those medals, the Olympic record holder in the 200-meter breaststroke and the world record holder in the 200-meter breaststroke, the first man to ever swim under two minutes and six seconds. This man loves to swim and he does very well at it. It's a pleasure to welcome to the show the one, the only, Mr. Zach Stubbledy-Cook. Zach, first of all, welcome to the show. You're the first person to get a round of applause on the show. Uh, it's, a,
0: it's a pleasure to have you. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's, a, it's an absolute pleasure.
1: It's, uh, it's very exciting. And I should have mentioned it's time to go gobbledygook for Zach Stubbledy-Cook uh, <laughs> just because I'm sure you never get that after the Olympics, right? That has never followed you around since Basil said oh. those words. <laughs>
0: You know, yeah, as as long as everyone has a crack, right, as long as my name's out there, it's, it's kind of nice, you know.
1: Exactly. Um, yeah. Which I also found out in the lead-up to this interview that we've all been saying your name wrong. It's not Zach Stubblety Cook, it's Zach Stublety Cook. So we've got to pronounce yeah, the I L, mean, L
0: right. <laughs> yeah, you've got, to, you've got to try and have a crack at the L, but um, each to their own, you know. Like, it is nice to hear my name pronounced correctly, but at the same time, you know, It's just part of it, right? It's just, it's it's a name that no one forgets.
1: Exactly. Well, I I stand by, I think you've got maybe the best name on the Australian Olympic team because it just, it's, it's a name that you remember. And it's also just rolls off the tongue. And I love a good commentary name so that you can just roll it off the tongue. Zach Stubblety Cook, like it just, it fits everything right. And I think that is where someone like Basil Zemplis can have a lot of fun with that and just sit on the words gobbledygook until you win the gold medal.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's also nice as well. Like uh, mum's a home ec teacher, so she gets Mrs. Cook, which, uh, you know, if you ever need to shorten it, it's not like they're both too complicated words.
1: Exactly. And then also, again, you got the first name beginning with the letter Z. So, like you've got great initials, which I'm sure are very unique as well. So, like ZSC, I mean, I don't think many people in school those. So If you ever had somebody like carve into a desk, like I heart ZSC, like, I mean, you know who they're talking about, right? <laughs>
0: yeah it's a little bit unique right
1: yeah it, it, it ticks all the boxes but zach I, i'm always intrigued how you get into the sport because i mean most australians we we grow up swimming i think we have to we're basically born we're thrown in water but uh most of us i don't think go to the olympics and win gold medals in them uh so how do you take going swimming as a child to uh eventually turning this into a sport that you've pursued professionally
0: uh yeah so for me like personally like, i actually was a afraid of the water so i remember going mum taking me kicking and screaming to learn to swim. as every australian learns to swim and especially up here in queensland it's uh it's a, bit, a little bit different um you know everyone learns to swim because you grow to, you go to the beach growing up um so for me that's what it was always that was always about water safety when i was quite young and then i was very lucky to go to a, a, a primary school where we had a a pool and a swim club um, so all of a sudden all of, all my friends from primary school year one year two year three and, and year four it was all of a sudden they were all, they're all swimming and I was like well you know I've got to overcome this fear so I can still remember I think it was year one I was about six years old and I did the half lap back then and that was with a senior um, school member or senior club member so that was someone in year seven or eight um, who would then basically hold us to to halfway down the pool. I remember closing my eyes because I was so scared and then ending up hitting the other end of the pool. It was a 25-meter pool back then. So, yeah, I remember swimming that. And then the rest is kind of history. The next few years, I I kept swimming and kept developing my skills um, as as a young, very young athlete. And then I had the opportunity in 2009 as a 10-year-old, very lucky to have parents that supported me to – go all the way to Perth to swim 42 seconds, uh, a fifty-meter breaststroke (laughs) and waited a whole week to, to swim that one swim. Um, And now, you know, I've been very lucky with the opportunities I've been presented um, in the sport from, from my schooling at at Churchy to, you know, being able to swim with the senior group um, as a still junior developing um, that being through Vince Raleigh, my current coach. So I've been very lucky over the years, but, it has taken a little bit of hard work and dedication um, obviously goes into that. But yeah, I've had, I've had very good opportunities along the way.
1: It's a fascinating story to think that it was just a, a fear of something that basically uh, that, that led you to that, 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 that's incredible. And then have the supportive parents, as you said, to kind of take you on a bit of a trip because that's, that's not exactly a short trip from uh, Queensland to, uh, to Perth either. That's basically as far as you can go pretty much anywhere in Australia from one end to the other.
0: Yeah, yeah. So that was um, a great trip. And back then as well, um, we actually had state championships in Cairns, all places too. So it wasn't like it was just one trip either. It was multiple trips just to be able to even get to Perth. Um, And, you know, I think mum grew up playing tennis and dad grew up in Victoria playing AFL and rugby. So we're never born for the water, but, um, you know, the background wasn't necessarily there, but I think they supported me and they continue to support me in whatever endeavor I have. Um, and that's something that I'm really grateful for. Did you play
1: other sports or you mentioning what your, your parents did sort of outside of swimming where you uh much, you know, doing a lot of activities in different other sports as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I'm definitely a big advocate for a person first approach. So I think up until I was the age of 14, I played soccer, water polo um, throughout all those years. And, I thoroughly enjoyed those two sports. And I think I always say to people, I look back at, you know, probably when I was edging on high school, um, it was 50, 50 between water polo and swimming. Um, I really enjoyed the camaraderie of a team sport that was water polo and the ability to play um, and swim as well. Like it was kind of the best of both worlds. Um, And then, Moving on from there, I think the opportunity arose to go to the school I went to um, for swimming. Um, So that kind of cemented the the beginning of my swimming career as a senior, more senior athlete.
1: Did you have ambitions for the Olympics? Was it something that you watched as a kid and thought this would be something I'd like to go to? Or did that sort of come the more you progressed in your swimming career?
0: Um, For me, like probably as I started to go through high school, I always wanted to represent the country, um, in whatever state that was, um, that was always the goal. And I think like, as you progress in the sport, you realize that is the pinnacle of some sports, not all sports, but in swimming, it's definitely the pinnacle, um, that, and you know, like world champs is probably second to that. And Packs and Com Games are on a similar level as well, depending on the event. Um, so for me representing a country, um, was always my goal um, and to get the best out of myself was simply the goal always and always continues to be the goal. Um, that's regardless of the results or anything like that. It's just about challenge myself day in, day out. But that's probably more broad to what you're talking about, I guess, is like, yeah, there was an Olympic dream, but I guess it, it was ignited probably watching the Rio Olympics um, more so, I think, when I was a bit younger, I didn't have a full appreciation of what it was to be an Olympian and why it was so significant. Um, so, yeah.
1: I, I do love aging me on this show, Zach, when you say, Oh yeah, the Rio Olympics, that was the first one that sort of, I mean, I just might mention that. I remember watching Barcelona many years before you were born. Um, so we'll, we'll skip past that one. I'm always intrigued with swimmers though, how they choose their strokes, because I believe you are the first breaststroker we've had on this show. And, I guess out of all the strokes, I feel that's the one that maybe gets the least amount of tension for unfair reasons. We can talk about that, but was it just a simple case of you gave them all a crack and that was the one that you ended up finding you were best in?
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, they say breaststrokes are born, not made uh, is, is the, and they say breaststroke are a little bit weird compared <laughs> to the rest of them. So maybe that's why we don't get as, as much uh, publicity, but for me personally um, I always enjoyed breaststroke and enjoyed the technicality of it. Um, I'm a big process person. So I like the the finer details of, and there's throughout swimming, it's always, but um, breaststroke's unique in that it's definitely the least efficient stroke. Um, Even flies a little bit more efficient if you're technically really good at it. Um, Breaststroke just lends itself because you don't actually come out of the water at all. Um, You are swimming entirely through the water. So for me, that's probably more senior athlete that I am now see the value and joy in that. But earlier on, um, I think I definitely swam everything like some fly back breast, probably not so much back, but definitely freestyle and butterfly. Um, and definitely a lot of medley when I was younger and probably slowly phased that out over the last few years. Like I still was racing. Okay. The occasional two med that, at a meet or the occasional 200 medley at a state championship. So for me, and that's something that definitely advocate for youngest and is is do everything because it's, it's fun. Like I remember, I think it was year seven. So I was 12 years old. I was racing freestyle, breaststroke and medley. So I was racing as much as I could. And it definitely is a lot of value as you move through your career. Is it
1: a sport, you're talking about the the technicalities of it, is it the most, I guess, the fine-tuned nature of it? Is it the one stroke that you can really work on it on a level which maybe you can't on freestyle, backstroke and butterfly on just finding that time based on that technique? I'm sure you can do it on all of them, but, I mean, to me, breaststroke doesn't necessarily seem purely about the speed, if that makes sense. Of course, you want to go fast, but more of the technique around it rather than just, get in the water and, and go for I'm probably explaining that really badly, Zach. Please shut me down here. Uh, but uh, I am mean, guess I'm asking the, the technical nature of it. Is it something more attuned to if you're fixing up a car, you can be more technical on a car with breaststroke than you could be with freestyle? That is the worst question I've ever asked, Zach. Please completely skip over that if you want to.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's more probably geared towards the efficiency piece. So it's like, yeah. I guess, in freestyle, you have, yes, you have a lot of technique and a lot of technical ability. Um, but the caveat to that is you, 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 occasionally see a freestyler get through to a world championship finals, purely on power. Um, that's the word so, I was
1: looking for power. Thank you. Thank you very yeah, much. Yes. So I guess
0: like it's, it's just different in that regard. It's not any better or worse or more technical, I don't think, but it's just different in that regard that it is least efficient. So you can race it all differently. Um, so there's a, there's a technical aspect there in terms of if you have more power, um, typically those guys race faster front ends and a little bit slower back ends. Um, but of course you have outliers to those rules, but, uh, for me, I'm more of a, probably aerobic athlete. Um, so for me, I'm definitely more geared towards finding that speed in between and finding that efficient point where you're not descending speed as much as say a power hungry athlete.
1: Which then you, you mentioned that you're sort of born into it. You don't become one. So it's, it's sort of a stroke that I can imagine that if all of a sudden, you know, you get a few years into your career and you want to try a challenge that you're not going to maybe find too many freestylers would switch to breast stroke sort of, you know, years into their career, if that's something they haven't really focused on too much.
0: Yeah. And it's, and partly that's because, um, Typically, like your high-end breaststroke, have, we have weird hips and weird knees um, and ankles. So, like, there's a couple of ways you can achieve, I guess, the most efficient stroke. So, for example, someone like Adam petty he has really good ankle and hip flexibility, um, but his real strength is through his back. Uh, his lower lumbar spine is, like, quite flexible. Um, but then you take someone like Lesley Jones and her hip mobility, like there's photos of it, it's, like, on paper physio goes like oh that's just insane that she can get into that position let alone then have power to apply in that position so there's different ways of achieving it as well so but that's probably where the fact that freestyles don't swap over Mm. um that's probably that's typically why um sometimes you get a bit of crossover in butterfly because it is a similar muscle group in the upper body um but that's probably more on the sprint side and less on the on the 100 and 200 side.
1: So that I can imagine then the breaststrokers in a gym are doing different exercises to the freestylers. So basically if you're at a swimming gym, then uh, you, you can tell maybe who's a breaststroker versus who's a, a freestyler.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think like, I mean, personally, I think a lot of what we do is the same, but it's probably more, oh, you need to focus a little bit more on legs, etc. Um For me personally, like it's definitely, more leg drive, um, my upper body doesn't matter too much. Whereas sometimes especially freestylers lend themselves more to an upper body dominant stroke. So there's that balance. Um, I think as well, though the caveat to that is that uh, until you're in the high end, like it's pretty general what you do in the gym, um, because you're simply just trying to complement what you're doing in the pool.
1: You mentioned that progression sort of uh, when you sort of started focusing on it and everything. I mean, when your parents obviously are on board with you and you, you say to them, Mum, Dad, this is what I want to do, they're taking you to Perth, they're taking you to Cairns, is it a hard conversation to have like if you're like, this is what I've grown up to be? Because obviously a lot of us want to grow up and be an athlete and realistically we don't always make it. So do they sort of have to sit you down and go, "That we're going to support you, we'll do this, but, uh, you know, what else do you want to do? Like, Or are they fully on mm-hmm. board of like, no, you are going to be a swimmer, we will support you, It's it's this or nothing.
0: Um, probably a bit of both. I mean, I had some really good mentors, especially when I got to high school. that gave me that perspective of like, you know, you can't just be an athlete. Um, you know, your athlete career probably lasts, if you're lucky till you're 30, if if you're happy um, and content with what you achieve before you're 26, a lot of people retire around that age. So it's, a, it's an interesting one because, you know, you have till you're 26 and then you've got what – 60 odd years of, of working. Um, so what are you gonna do for the rest of that? And my personal opinion is, you know, you are a person first and that's probably first and foremost. And if you align your values with everything you do in your life, um, that's when you find your groove both in the pool and out of the pool um, in whatever you're doing. So for me personally, like I'm a big, big person for like my values of, you know, hard work and determination, but also caring for others and and trying to get to see the best out of them, um, is is something that I'm really really passionate about. Um, so for me personally, like those are the things that I try and align myself with, both in and out of the pool in all activities I'm doing. So I study. I was working pre Olympics, but there's a lot of other moving parts now um, that come with post Olympics and post World Champs and all of the above, which I'm still not used to it yet. Um, so doing things like this, I'm still like not super comfortable doing, but I, I do enjoy doing them and having a chat and especially this longer form stuff where you do get to have a bit more in-depth stuff.
1: So I can imagine it's all about routine. I mean, swimming, you're up early, you're, you're swimming laps. It's it's a routine, right? You've got a training routine, which then I can imagine if you're that way inclined transfers into your life, what you're talking about. And is it sort of, are you a routine based guy like this is what you live your life on or is it sort of a case of well i am in the pool but outside of it it doesn't sometimes translate into other things
0: uh a bit of both i think like when i find passions i it's all or nothing for me um so for me i have passions of of well one of my passions is mental health and and looking after my mental health and that's probably come through some bad experiences of swimming also um and not having that balance but also yeah, getting the best out of others and and educating others on my experiences, helping them learn from those experiences. Um, definitely passion for coffee and cooking and baking and all of those things. So, and all of them are process driven things too. So I find myself that's something I thrive on. Rules and process is like when there's a set parameter of how to do something or what to do in certain situations. That's when I thrive. Um, the best example of that was we're in we're in. Um, Sabadell just outside Barcelona. Um, and we had two weeks where a lot of people were getting sick, um, after world champs, which is typical, but, uh, we also then had no real structure. We could train kind of whenever we wanted, we could gym whenever we wanted, um, all of those things and meals weren't provided. So we were eating out all the time. Um, and like, I, didn't I couldn't put my finger on why I was stressed um, at the time, but I was really like worked up and just a bit on edge um, and not necessarily in a bad way, just like felt scattered. I remember then we went into Chartres um, that's just about an hour train ride out of Paris and we, were, we came together as a team again um, and Commonwealth Games team came in and all of a sudden I just completely relaxed and trained better and and it was all because all of a sudden meals were at a certain time. We were all back in a routine. Like we are all training at the same time. And like I was like, oh, I didn't realize like how much I loved and thrived off structure and routine. Hmm. So wow. for me, um, it's, been, it's been an interesting year of self-reflection in that regard.
1: Fantastic. Good to sort of learn about that. And then trust me, we're going to ask about coffee. That's, uh, that's a big question I need to find out about. When you were 16, you had a tumour in your shoulder which obviously set you back a little bit there i mean what was that like at such a young age discovering that and kind of what was that process like to get from discovery to i guess eventually recovery to getting back in the pool
0: um for me it was if i'm honest it was a real testing point i guess i've had a few times in my life where i've been tested on whether i want to really do this i think at the moment i'm probably going through something similar um it's just a phase in your life where for me, that's something where I reflect on where I had two options. I had the option of, of stopping and that was it. Um, and just swimming out the rest of my high school years and then kind of not continuing or giving it a red hot crack and giving it all I could, um, and giving, putting my best foot forward in that sport and seeing what happened. So for me, I actually gave myself a timeline and said, if I'm not on the senior team by the time I'm 21, I, that's it. Like, and that was for me about an age where you start to develop as a senior. And, but then you also still have enough time to, to get out of uni by the time you're 25 and and still have a good career in that regard and and still be young enough to get going there. Um, so for me, that, that's what happened. and, and, at that same time, another spare in the works was I'd just chosen to do a three-year three senior at school. So it was to split my 11 and 12 over three years. Um, so that meant an extra year at school. So I'd also had this other thought where I was deciding about that. Um, and then with this diagnosis, it was really like, all right, well, like I need my best foot forward if I'm going to do this, do this right. So for me, that meant, basically a week after surgery, I was sitting on a bike for the next three weeks um, every day, morning and night um, just to maintain fitness. And as soon as I could um, lift my arm up again, which was about three weeks after surgery, I was in the pool just slowly getting the strength back and slowly doing it. Um, And then, you know, I wasn't expecting much a year later going into Olympic trials um, and didn't get much of a result, but it was a great experience to have a first Olympic trials and something that really prepared me going into 2021.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's obviously all of that coming at you at such a young age. I mean, I imagine it helps you mature a little bit, making all these decisions at, at 16. That's crazy.
0: Yeah, it was different. I mean, if I look back on it, I was probably making a lot of the decisions through parents and also like intuitively, I think, Personally, like I'm a very old soul. Uh, I, don't, I don't find myself craving a lot of what other young people crave. But um, for me, I think I've always been an old soul and something that that was quite intuitive. But at the time and only looking back on it, I actually realized the gravity of the whole situation. Like, oh, that, that was a make or break situation for me. Like, yeah. didn't know what was going to happen going into surgery, didn't know actually what the tumor was. Until after it was removed, um, which was like, lucky. It was benign, but at the time, like I, I remember, like mum coming home, mum like crying, and I'm not realizing why, like not fully comprehending what was actually going on. Um, but you know, it, it all happens, and it all happens for a reason. And I'm lucky that you know I had the support around me had had not just from parents, but from family and friends and friends that were, you know, in the younger cohort as well and swimming people and, um, yeah, and I'm definitely better off for it. Um, I wouldn't – I would do it again if, if if that's what it meant.
1: The experience I can imagine of being in an Olympic trials uh, for 2016 and then going to a Commonwealth Games at, at 2018 as well, all sort of things on that journey you are mentioning, but how important were they, those two meets in the grand scheme of things to help you towards what – you obviously had a pretty breakout year a few years later. Were they very important for sort of that development?
0: Absolutely. I think like they teach you that it's not just talent and it's, it's more, it's more than that. Um, and then I think probably not just those two meets taught me a lot, but moving to a squad where at the time we had Jess Hanson, Jack McLaughlin and a few others, um, where they were all senior athletes, all been on a senior team since 2014, some of them in a bronze at a world championships, Jess was. And so I got to see what that was like at 17, what it took to be an Olympian and be an Olympic medalist. Um, and I'm, that's what I'm really grateful for. Like I saw day in, day out, how hard they pushed and how relentless they were. Um, and then to see how they prepared to meet and how relaxed they would go in, um, and then I think 2018, we can probably touch on a bit more and dive in a bit more because it wasn't the best experience um, for me and something that probably was the turning point in my senior swimming career. I was lucky to have it at the beginning. Um, so, well, to give.
1: Well, just if you want to go into that, what was it about that experience yeah. that sort of made it not so good?
0: I mean, I'd been training with Vince for two years and just narrowly missed the senior team in 2017. Um, and a guide raced my whole kind of age group career, which Matt Wilson, um, he made the senior team the first time, um, that year. So it was also different cause I thought I'd been working hard enough to get on the senior team. Um, but in hindsight, I probably only would have raced one race. Um, and I got to go to the world juniors and race half a dozen times, if not more. Um, similar program to what I'm racing now at a world juniors so it was it was a really great experience um, but then a year on like I really wanted to get on the senior team for the first time and I remember trials was okay like it was a bit touch and go it definitely wasn't what I was capable of um, so I was a bit iffy there and I didn't realize how important the mental component was going into Commonwealth Games and tried to get other people's um, mindsets and looking back now that probably wasn't the best idea but um i got to Commonwealth games and i remember the heat of the two breasts was day one session one so first day like it was easy because we could line up the taper right on to day one um and we got there i was r- swimming really well the few weeks beforehand swimming fast in the pool my times probably indicated like a 208 maybe um which would put me in the mix for a medal so I was really excited and probably got overexcited in that regard. And when you go into a village, it's it's overwhelming um the first time you do, and there's lots to do. like you can go to the bar, you can go get your hair cut, you can go to the shop, you can go to an arcade, like you can go to the food hall twenty four hours a day. like it's it's incredible like how different a village environment is, um, and then the buzz of everyone coming into the village is also another thing where you have all the energy of all the different countries and all the different people all of a sudden there. And that's, that's their dream as well to be there. So they're all excited as well. And you have this energy of the village. Um, and for me, I don't think I took stock of how much energy that was. Um, and I got to the race and I mentally exhausted myself. I'd swum the race over and over again. Um, and I remember diving in and, just being physically exhausted, mentally exhausted, and not being able to, and being quite overwhelmed. And I remember very distinctly, like looking up at the grandstands either side and being like, "Wow, like this is a moment I want to take hold of." I think then the mental exhaustion kicked in, and I was overworked. And so for me, after that experience, I missed the final went about I think a two fifteen. Um, so to give anyone listening context, it was uh, it was about four or five seconds over my best. Nearly like um,
1: 10 seconds slower than your current best Then Wow, that's, that's yeah, insane.
0: Yeah. So I was, def- I knew I was capable of a lot more and so did my coach. And after that, um, I didn't really want to swim. I was like, well, I've made a senior team. I've done what I wanted to do. And I think, but I knew I was capable of more and I knew that I'd probably regret if I didn't do it. But, you know, there was, there was a good period of like a month there where I was really depressed, like, you know, and I sought help and got help, but I was just, I hated the water. I hated being around the pool and I hated like training and I didn't want to push myself. I didn't want to do anything. Um, And that's when, you know, I decided to myself, like I needed to find a psych and worked with that psych for still to this day. Um, And we worked really, we worked really well together and worked on the balance and worked on the person first approach and led me to, moving, like shifting my, like, I guess, non-swimming career to something more suited like business and psychology, um, moving, you know, my mental state. And, you know, we got to Pampax three months later and I saw my 207.9. So- A bit seven, of an improvement, yeah. Seven seconds faster. I was like 0.5 over the Australian record at that time. So- Wow. It was a big shift um and faster than Matt at the time it was the fastest textile suit swim by an Australian ever. Um, so not anymore, but we <laughs> probably get into that. But yeah, like for me, that was like proof in the pudding that I could do it and I could continue to push myself. Um, and that what we were doing is working. Um, Cause the hardest thing I think in sport like swimming where is that you get three opportunities a year to test yourself at mm. a race that you, all your training for the last three months is worth it, you know, is, is working. Um, and you know, it's a stark contrast to a, to a technical game, say like tennis, like a similar technique wise game where you can test it every other week. Yeah. Under pressure. On, some on sort the of tour field. game basically isn't there going yeah. every week. So for us, it's, it's just a little bit different and it's not a bad thing. I can never view it as a bad thing. It's just different. Um, but for me at that, at that point in time it was quite testing because I didn't know whether it was working. Um, but then to have that Pampac success and get a silver medal, um, you know, 2079, it was was really special. And probably if I'm honest, like one of the highlights of my career to, to be able to turn around in three months from being depressed and hating the water to swimming, that well some some probably look at it as a bit of kick in the guts because i would have won commonwealth games three months earlier with that time but you know that taught me a really really important lesson that you need to have everything right not yeah. necessarily everything right but like i'm careful not to careful to say that but like i guess everything you can have right your controllables right um
1: and sort of be able to, get the best to have that ability to at least work on it if, if you can't. Because, I mean, that's that's an incredible story because if you had a won the goal of the Commonwealth Games, who knows what might have happened in the future if you didn't sort of have that situation where you've kind of almost hit rock bottom to to fix certain things that have ultimately led on to a pretty handy couple of years at the time of, of speaking. Uh, you mentioned that obviously seeing a psychologist. Is this a, a sports psychologist? Is this kind of just a, a regular one? Like, and sort of is that a case of – because I know – generally when you find a psychologist, it can be very hit and miss. You, you see one, you go back, you that know, was it a case of you doing that or you just got connected to one straight away and that sort of person has stuck with you ever since?
0: Um, I guess for me, when I was like, at that point, I had another friend of like a close friend of mine who was seeing a psych and I actually couldn't get into her, but I could get into her, not assistant, but like one of her employees at the firm. Um, so I was like, uh, you know, if she's really good and he's really enjoying her, because we're similar personalities, I'm sure like he'll be all right. And I think I, I can still remember very distinctly like our first session went in, and I was like, "I'm a process person. I need this, this, and this. Like, I don't want to walk out of here feeling better, but then feel crap in a couple of days. Like, I would love to walk out of here with like tangible things to do. And still to this day, like he always gives me homework or things to do continually. Um, and like I said to him. You know, I gave him all those kind of parameters of my personality quite up front. I think that was something we connected really well over. Um, and he's he was a just a clinical psych. Um, now he's working more in the sports psych space. But um, for me, at the time, I was more probably concerned about my life outside of swimming because there's a lot of underlying things that probably were coming through in swimming and coming through as pressure in swimming and, and this ultimate feeling of uh, never being good enough or never being satisfied um, regardless of the result. Um, So for me, I probably still have that feeling, which is good and bad, but as long as I know the feelings are there, um, yeah, it's probably ultimately led to where I am today. The feeling of never being good enough or never satisfied, but it's always,
1: it's a, it's a double-edged sword, I guess. I can, I can imagine, but I'm always so fascinated on this show to learn about that mental aspect of sport because I can sit here and think, well, the physical side of training is obviously very important to help you win that gold medal. But as we're seeing more and more now, that's that mental side of things, has always been a part of it, but obviously a lot more people are, open to talk about it. They're a lot more happy to sort of mention there might be an issue and get that assistance with it, which I mean, in your case, clearly, as we just discovered, obviously was a a little bit of a help towards where you are Mm. at today.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. And like something I'm really grateful to be able to even talk about openly. And it's something that I wish, especially young males, probably as they transition out of high school, I think there's a lot more of them that struggle than people realize. Um, and that's something I think people, you know, shouldn't be afraid of because everyone has issues and everyone uh, and when, whenever they're ready, that's, that's the main thing too. Like sometimes you need to recognize, oh, I'm not ready to fully unpack that and that's okay. Um, but realize that, you know, it is healthier to unpack it than, than let it fester. Um, but I think, yeah, like, you know, in those key moments where you do transition through life, like the hardest The worst day is the worst day you've ever had. Like, it's all relative. Like, you know, someone's family member passing versus someone's, you know, dog dying is the same feeling. Like, it doesn't, it's regardless, you know, because that's the worst thing they've ever experienced. Yeah. Um, You know, so I think that's also something people need to take a step back and realize is that, like, I think we have this mentality as young males, but also as Australians that, you know, just just get up and work harder and do it again. Um, so that's something that I think is really important as well to realize.
1: Which, I mean, obviously get back to the swimming, but so clearly this is something that you're very passionate about, Zach, that I can imagine that. I'm sure you might be doing it now, but even sort of on a, on a post-swimming career, this is something I can see you really advocating for sort of going out there. Maybe if you're talking to schools or, you know, young swimmers that it's obviously, sure, I've had this great success on the physical side and the winning the gold medals, but uh, let's take a focus on your mental health and realize how important that is as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like, it's something that, I've spoken to, you know, my former school a bit about and definitely try and bring up whenever I have longer form interviews as well, um, to, to get that out there as well. Um, so, you know, I think sometimes everyone just wants to hear about the success, but there is a lot that goes on behind the scenes. Like even, you know, you would think that post achieving your goal, um, you would think, you know, you're all happy and merry and it's great, but uh, by the same token, like, I probably had similar feelings after Tokyo. Like, probably, you know, the three, four months after till the end of the year after the Olympics it was great. But then after that, you go, oh, shit, like, what's next? Mm-hmm. Um, and you have this, well, I had this feeling of, like, dissociation from personality, um, I guess, and not knowing exactly who I was um, and kind of probably getting caught in the Oh, I am who I am and I'm defined by my Olympic success or I'm defined by that success. And partly, you know, I'm always, will we, but also like realize, I think I have to realize that, you know, that's not all of me. Um, and I'm still trying to find that balance probably after the Olympics because, you know, pre-Olympics, I was completely under the radar. I was working, studying, just minding my own business and training day in day out. And then, suddenly like you put it on the map and you're yeah, like, Oh, can we do this? Can we do that? Can we put your face here? Can we you're do a photo shoot? Yeah. And you're just like, Oh, okay. And then like suddenly people are telling you, you know, how amazing it is. It's like, yeah, it was pretty cool. But like, um, that's not who, all I am, you know, like yeah. I think somewhere along the line, probably after the Olympics I lost sight of that. Um, I lost sight of that not humbleness, but like, it's, it's interesting to describe like the personality that I had pre Olympics and then learning how I can integrate those things into my life and what my non negotiables are again, um, has been quite an interesting experience and probably something that I haven't quite perfected yet. Um,
1: Together. I feel I feel like I need to scrap the next ten questions, Zach, and all of a sudden we can just talk about your other things. I mean, yeah, Olympic gold show sure, that was great, but um, you know, what what music do you like? Um, just, shall we just go with that? Um, uh, <laughs> you know, I feel we're on that path. In all seriousness, like, um, have you thought about doing maybe a, a podcast or sort of a a blog or some sort of like even YouTube or something? Because I think like what I'm getting from that is that that's something that yeah people look at you as zach stutherland cook the olympic champion the world record holder and that's why we've got you on the show today but there is a lot more to it so i mean is that something that you've kind of maybe thought about doing
0: uh yes and no i've always thought about a podcast but i think like my reluctancy is that it is a risk and it's time time factor for me um so it's also like that's the hardest thing i think like i have little time um so for me weighing up the priorities like what is the priority like do i need to finish uni before i finish swimming which has always been my goal um but i don't know if i'll get there we'll see um so like things like that like i think that's the last month i've had off um training that's something that i've been reflecting on like what the priorities are and what i want to achieve over the next few years and how do i integrate those things into my life so for me I'm actually doing a coffee roasting course, so we'll see where that lands after that. But, um, yeah, I've I've thought about doing a podcast um, and I know who I'd love to do it with and he's just moved to Queensland, so we'll also watch that space.
1: We'll definitely be keeping an eye out for that. A coffee roasting podcast perhaps maybe as well or...? Maybe, maybe
0: we'll see. Maybe, maybe a podcast over coffee.
1: Yeah. Hey, exactly, exactly. There was, a, I think, there's a, an AFL one, isn't it? Like talking uh, footy over coffee or something like that. I think they've just started recently. So um, there's a, there's a few. What was the, the one that Jerry Seinfeld did? Wasn't it like uh, drink uh, comedians and cars? Comedians cars and coffee. Cars and think, coffee yeah, yeah, something like that. That was that was clever. That was a good one. So mm. yeah, with that. I, I mean, the lead up to Tokyo. We'll get back to swimming. We'll, we'll we'll just we'll brush over this, Zach, and we'll get back to some more of those <laughs> other ones if you like. Um, obviously you get fourth in the world champs in 2019, then we've got a bit of a delay and then things really start to uh, take off for you 2021 onwards. Was the delay a positive for you or, I mean, it seemed to be in terms of your results, but I mean, was that ultimately you think a big help and that maybe the success you've had post 2021 might not have come, had the delay come in 2020?
0: Uh, Yes and no. I think like I saw it as an opportunity um, to work on both the mental and physical side. Um, I think like, been able to step away for a little bit and have a different stimulus in that, you know, I was very lucky that we were doing a lot of dry land stuff. Like I had access to doing dry land stuff at home. Um, so for me, that was a really good way to keep my mental health sane during that whole COVID period, but also like um, have the time to work a bit more and do a bit more uni and those kind of things. So for me, I really enjoyed that time. Um, it definitely helped me long term um and took a bit more i guess when you go into an olympic year and all those kind of things until you do it you don't realize like how much goes into it um it's like you know at a world championship you're in a Commonwealth games year you can it's not it's this height there's pressure there's always pressure but the olympics is is different in that regard that you go into every four years and go you know like you stand behind the blocks the Olympic trials and you're like this is what I've been working towards and this is the first hurdle to even get to the Olympics like you want to ultimately make like my goal at the Olympics was to make a final so like working back from that the pressure in the Olympic year is is different so I think that extended period actually gave us a little bit of room to breathe if you will like you know pardon the pun but like you you do feel like you're constantly being pushed underwater, I guess. And that gave us a little bit of room to breathe. And and I always saw it as an opportunity more than anything. Which
1: you get the the trials in 2021 uh, Commonwealth and national record, pretty uh, good feeling to have. I I always love hearing from swimmers about, is it more about the time or the position? Because obviously I've seen people win gold medals and they've been shitty because, Oh fuck, I swam a really slow race, even though they got a gold medal or they finished eighth, but they're thrilled because they broke their personal best. Like what is more important to a swimmer?
0: Um, I think everyone's a little bit different. Um, for me personally, it's about doing my best on the day and that's, that, that's it. That's the whole story. And I think like, Probably that's why I'd say people have seen photos of world champs and, and Commonwealth Games where, well, probably more so world champs. Like I was world champion, world champion and I was like disappointed because I was like, <laughs> I didn't do the best I thought I could on the day. Yeah. I think I got caught up in the pressure of it all. Um, so for me, like, you know, like uh, I swam fast in the semi-final and at the end of the day, it was a race and I came out on top. But for me, I knew that wasn't the best I could give on the day. And I was disappointed in that way. So for me, it's probably more about my best. Um, So it's probably in between what you just said. Like, um, yeah, I guess is, is, is the easiest way. It's like, it's not necessarily, you know, you're not going to do all PBs all the time, especially when you're in the the 1% of the 1%. Um, It's more about just ensuring, you know, your race plan and know what the best is on that day.
1: When it comes to the differences between a 100 and a 200 breast, it doesn't, I mean, at least sort of looking on some of the results, is there much like people who can do both in the sort of top of the game, of both like you've mentioned Adam before, like he's obviously doing well in the hundred, you're doing well in the 200, like put you in an 150 meter race. Who's going to, who's going to come out on top? Like, is it that how the metrics are measured on it?
0: Uh, it would be interesting to, I'm actually hopefully get the opportunity to train with him at the end of the year. So That'll be great, but um, yeah. I mean, he's changed the game of the hundred, and I'd love to change the game of the two hundred, but we'll see what happens. But
1: you've done it right so far in that Zach. Just saying.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think there's still more to give, but we'll, we'll we'll see. It's just about doing my best, as we said before. But it's very interesting. We'll probably get into that, but like very interesting to to go into new air and nuance, I guess. And that's something I've, yeah. So, for me, like the 100-200 is, is different. And in saying that, like I think Petey's is one of those people that's actually forced that. Um, he's pushed it to a level where it's difficult to do both at that level.
1: Which, how does uh, he do that? How Like what has he done that has made it difficult?
0: Well, I mean, I think he's just pushed where people didn't think possible, A, and B, that he's moved to a really power, high power stroke like we talked about before. So probably he's still really efficient and that's probably still the differential of him versus someone who's close to him um, is that he's slightly more efficient, um, but he's really powerful. Like he's a very powerful, strong person. Um, whereas you look at like someone like Chubkoff and myself, like <laughs> he's got 15 kilos on us, you know, like, we lean string beans compared to him. Um, so there's that regard and like our ability then to change gears when, and the easy speed, um, is, is slightly different, I guess. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just a different race and it's becoming more, I guess, like a hundred freestyles or four hundred freestyle. Like you don't typically see those people racing both. Um, but I think in the future we will see more crossover, um, as it, progresses more and more, especially the 200. Hopefully as it comes down, I think there'll be more crossover, um, because you know, your ability in the 200 is, is partly limited by how fast you can swim hundred meters, um, because your typical range is, you know, you have the ability to swim a certain speed with a certain efficiency and that's dictated by how fast you can sprint, I guess. Is, is in layman's terms. <laughs> um, yeah. Which, does that make sense? <laughs> I,
1: I, I, you, no, it does. I, I I definitely understand that, which I've, I've got to ask that question again, though. Who who would win between you and Adam in 150? Like, you know, is he just going to be know. tired after 100? He can't swim an extra 50?
0: Yeah. Like, I guess it would come down to the last 25, I think. Mm. Um, I think he would really get out in front of me and that would be his tactic. But if I could stay in touch, um, I think we'd have an interesting, race but I have no idea who because I've heard things like you know what he could have done in training and stuff like that but I don't you know you don't know unless you know um so you know you hear he can do quite a bit of endurance speed work as well so You don't know. I don't know.
1: I'm picking you, Zach. I'm saying, you know, and this is the one thing that's still weird for me is that there's actually English people out there who are good at swimming. This is our sport, England. Like, I mean, come on. Like, I mean, this this is not meant to be, you know, the Brits are not meant to be good at swimming. They can have everything else that they beat us in. Not swimming. All right. I'm still moving yeah, it Come on. Yeah, exactly. Come on. This is just, it's kind of strange with that. One thing I always like finding out from our guests is obviously that Olympic experience, everything that comes from outside of the competition, obviously a very unique Games for Tokyo. But going back to your point about Gold Coast, the village life, all that kind of stuff that was overwhelming at that time, how much of a help was that having gotten that maybe shock out of the system to an Olympics, which obviously is a little bit bigger than a Commonwealth Games?
0: yeah oh it's yeah a lot bigger it's like about 10 times the size <laughs> so yeah like uh, to give you perspective like we stayed at the uni campus for this commonwealth games they built basically like a mini city yeah like you know like i was just in hobart and then Hobart. listeners listen it's probably about like half the size of your city that's like, not half. that was the, you know it was the village <laughs> i'm sure so your house just, right just, now just, is
1: probably about half the size of hobart zach it's all
0: good yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so like it's just massive like i think we had 50 50- 50 something thousand people in the Olympic village. Whereas I think the Commonwealth Games could be completely off, but I think it's like 10,000 if that, and that's including staff. Mm -hmm. So it's ridiculous. Like, you know, there's three dining halls at the Olympics and they're like both all like double story giant things. It's like insane. Um, So yeah, like it's just, it's just a different game. And I think like, I was really lucky to have, commonwealth games and having that experience but on top of that i think like um i was i'm very quite close with matt horton and like having him and his experience and rooming with him was really i think vital to like my success and i think like i'm very lucky that he took me under his wing and we bonded a lot over that experience and over other experiences as well and i think we're both friends outside of the pool more than swimming um, and I think that was something really, really important as well, that like he kind of nurtured me through the experience and reminded me while I was here and always brought me back to center.
1: We we had Mac on a couple months back now. Well, actually a lot longer, probably about a year ago now, if I'm actually uh, doing the math correctly. Uh, I loved learning about his love of hummus. Uh, did he get you involved in his hummus love and then you get him involved in your coffee love? Is it kind of like a nice uh, mutual sharing of foods there?
0: Oh, he hasn't got me involved in the hummus, but he definitely got me involved with uh, film photography. I felt ah. like I was into photography a bit beforehand yes. and then he uh, introduced me to film and the nuance of film and now I only shoot film and no digital camera. Wow. So You know, but to be fair, I've also like converted him to fields filter coffee, like he was very <laughs> reluctant, um, but. Now he's now he's all about it. Like I was, on, I was at his place on Sunday, and he had his children set up. and I was like, oh. yeah, it's only taken me two years, but we got there."
1: <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Who would you beat him in? Like, could he race you in breaststroke? Do you think? Like, nah, would, no chance. Well, like, middle, what's the middle ground then? Like, he's good at freestyle; you're good at breast. Like, do you just have to go in a backstroke race against each other to see who's like the ultimate champion or
0: something oh, like that? I reckon we'd we'd have a battle either backstroke. Butterfly or a medley. Mm. I think medley could be the jam because, like, I think because he's a big, quite a big guy, I reckon he could muscle through the fly and back. Yep. But the breasts, then, you know, like, I think it'd be a bit touch and go between us. I think it would be quite interesting. I
1: love these ultimate battle ideas. This needs to be more of a thing, like in swimming, you know, like it's kind of just just get it out there. Like, ah, Thorpe and Phelps in the freestyle, whoop de doo Make them do breaststroke. Let's see who the real (laughs) champion is in between them, right? Like, come on, anyone can do freestyle. It's breaststroke's where it's at. Come on. That's what we want to see with it. Yeah, uh, it, would be,
0: it would be interesting, some of those things. There's it's... your
1: promoter's dream. <laughs> 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 just, just get him out there. Obviously, um, gold medal, not bad at the Olympics. Um, can you put into words that feeling? I always like asking this to find out if our Olympic champions can put it into words. And given now it's obviously been a bit over a year now that it's happened, I don't know if it's sort of your words might change now to when it ultimately happened in Tokyo. Yeah.
0: Um... I think it was like the ultimate proof that I could do my best race under immense pressure. Um, And it's it's not about the medal. It's never been about winning or losing for me. I've been lucky that, you know, I've had success over the last 12 months, but I don't think it will ever sink in because it means something different to everyone else. I think also that's something that I've learned over the last year, you know, to my school. It means, you know, they can take me out and show that, you know, you can have ultimate success going to this school or then it means what, you know, to my parents that they're so proud of me because I achieved a goal that I set out to do or to, you know, my partner, family and friends that they've gone, oh, you know, it wasn't for nothing that he he sacrificed a lot. Um, You know, it means something different to each individual person who's been a part of that medal. Um, or that experience in general. Um, so, to me, it's all of those things plus so much more and uh, something that I don't think I could fully even comprehend, let alone put into words. But
1: it's, it's fascinating when you're talking about life before and life after and you said you set yourself a goal of making the finals, you do that, you win a gold. You get out of the pool you got channel seven, you got all these people interviewing, you've you got all that. But like when you look at your phone for the first time, have you ever had a phone blow up? Like I can't imagine there's not like a thousand notifications on your phone, whereas maybe a like day yeah. before you might've had five. I don't know. Like, I mean, did your phone survive that explosion of notifications?
0: <laughs> yeah. So the only other thing I can, ex- can probably relate it to was the world record probably got a similar amount. Nice. Um, because that was everywhere as well. Um, but yeah it's 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 different um i think like you don't know what to expect but i actually had well at the olympics you get given a phone um because samsung's one of the sponsors so all athletes get given a phone so i had two phones and i had one phone that was for like mum, one of my close friends and my partner at the time and then i had a whatsapp with my like i guess not squad, but the squad that was there. Um, so that's all I had. And that's, you know, like didn't open my phone. And then like, I think I got back to the village and I worked, I was like, Oh, I've got a race. Cause it was morning it happened in the morning. So I have about like 11 o'clock in the morning. And I got back at, to the village about 1. PM and had to be back at the pool at five 30, 6 o'clock. So I was like, and I had to race again that night. So I didn't have much time to process it on the day, but, i worked out I was, like, on a bit of a high, so I opened my phone and it was just, like, it was yeah, it is unbelievable. And, like, I can remember going into quarantine because I really wanted to get back to all those people that messaged and take the time. Um I got back to, like, all of them and, like, it took, like, eight hours of, like, just wow. being on my phone. I was, like, I've never had an experience like that or since. Um, Crazy. Yeah, like, the world record was different I guess in that regard because it wasn't randoms. it was the people that like sometimes you look up to like I, I remember getting like a message from some like people I, I remember like distinctly getting a message from Nathan Adrian I was like I remember like watching him at the Olympics and like admiring him and like him messaging me and being like oh that was really cool like really cool to watch you swim wow it's, like That's that's why it's a bit
1: special to kind of have those sort of people who are just, I mean, the thing, like, in all seriousness, one thing I just, I want to play this clip because, I mean, I've got the ability to play clips because, I mean, this is just absolutely incredible. But let's remind our listeners (laughs) of that commentary just one more time.
0: We can all go gobbledygook for Zach's double cook
1: It was just incredible. But, like, to have that come out of it but then you've got like ian thorpe and lisa jones commentating on you as well which i mean that's something which you've got basil dropping great one liners but you've got these legends who are there also talking about your swimming do you go back and watch that footage and pinch yourself that you've got Thorpey and lisa kind of like you know talking up your your gold medal win as well
0: yeah um i mean it still doesn't feel real like i watch that race and go like oh who is that like that's probably you know something that it's been weird to deal with. It's like, it doesn't feel real because at the end of the day for me, like it was like, yeah, it was in the Olympics and yeah, like I felt the sense of occasion, but I was just enjoying myself. Like I was just enjoying swimming for what it was. And like the purity of that experience for me was something that like, you know, I've only, I only ever, I've only experienced it once this year. And that was trials. Like it was just purely, the challenge of getting the best out of myself. Um, if I, yeah. I guess like some people resonate some people that will go straight over their head. But like, for me, it was like the pureness of sport in that moment. Um, so for me, everything that happened around it was just unique in that regard, but it's, and, and kind of an extra bonus. Um, but, you know, I've been lucky enough to have chats with Thorpe and have chats with Liesel and Hackey and afterwards. And like, have their perspective of then the aftermath of it all. Um, and it's quite interesting. Like I've, it was, the Jewel in the Pool was the first time I've experienced like fans as well, um, which was like, you know, because we've had COVID lockdowns and interstate travel banned. Like I haven't necessarily had that experience that say like Mac had or Hacky or Thorpey had during those times
1: you didn't um, get the welcome home parades, things like that you didn't get to experience any of those did you
0: no so it was, it was just very different um and like you know so the commentary is probably is like the only thing we can relate to previous previous um medals and those kind of things but yeah it's just it's been it's indescribable and like you know it's just different
1: H- had you ever had somebody utter the phrase, let's all go gobbledygook for Zach's doublet? Like, was that the first time you'd ever heard that? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Which, I mean, that's unique. Like, you know, we, we went crazy for that when we were doing on that day during Tokyo. We absolutely loved it because yeah. it just, it's so unique. And I, I will say that uh, kind of to ruin the illusion of scheduling on this show, I interviewed Basil a couple of weeks ago. That won't air for a little bit of time here on the show, but I brought that up and he had mentioned about how this was a phrase that he had always used and he thought, well, this is perfect if he wins gold. So He'd sort of half pre-planned it on the hope that you would win the gold and you did. So, uh, you know, Basil's frosting at the bit ready to use this phrase essentially. So uh, I don't know if you, you get a chance to speak to Basil about it and go, thanks, Basil, that was pretty fun. Oh, I might mention that
0: next time I see
1: him, though. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you're, you're rubbing shoulders. <laughs> with all that sort of stuff. One thing I actually just wanted to touch on too with it as well, w- were you aware going into it or as much made of the fact that there was such a drought for for a male breaststroker to win a gold for Australia, obviously since 64, since Ian O'Brien won that gold? Were were you aware of that or was that something afterwards that somebody brought up to you that you'd sort of broken that drought?
0: Um, I don't think it's been talked about that much. I don't think that many people actually know about it, but... Yeah, like it's, Tokyo to Tokyo was pretty cool. Like I knew about it beforehand and I thought one of us would win.
1: Mm.
0: <laughs> I, I thought another I would like get the best out of ourselves on that day. And like I honestly thought it was not, but, you know, things happen and he was there and he was, you know, swimming, swimming the way he was swimming. But, um, yeah, like I think I knew that, Someone told me two years earlier, but I like you know I wasn't thinking about it during the meet. It was more probably a couple of years beforehand that I'd been told it was like oh that'd be pretty cool. Um, but yeah, that was one of the best messages I got. Sorry to go back to that, but that was one of the best messages I got. I got a message from him.
1: I was going to ask, um, had, had you talked to him about it actually? So that's I've never
0: never spoken to him. I have his number, but I haven't called him yet. Um, so I do want to like catch up with him because I know he lives. In Sydney, um, or Bathurst, but just outside Sydney. So, yeah, like I'd love to actually meet him, sit down with him, talk to him about his about the experience and yeah. his turn of breaststroke, my turn of breaststroke, and that'd be Tokyo crazy. to Tokyo yeah. would be, be a great experience. Yeah, yeah that podcast it Maybe podcast at one. There you go. That's,
1: that's, but you've got to listen to straight away with that because, I mean, it's, it's fascinating when that record sort of came about because, I mean, you think swimming, I think Australia, you think we've won it all in all of them, right? I think it was sort of like, saying so the backstroke with Kaylee, it was like, wow, this is a, a record that sort of, you know, you think, wow, Australia's never really won many in, in, in backstroke before. Which now that you've set this, Zach, now that you've broken through, you've broken this drought, can we get the kids into breaststroke? Like, is this now like, cool, we've got the Zach Stubblety Cook effect now that kids are going to be jumping in the pool, bugger the freestyle, bugger the bugger, Butterfly, bugger the backstroke. We're getting into breaststroke.
0: Oh, hopefully we'll see. We'll see in about ten years. Hopefully, <laughs> Risen thirty-two.
1: Hey, sweep the breaststroke in Brisbane, right? Well, are you gonna. I mean, ten years is that something? Home Olympics? Do you think?
0: No, no. <laughs> I'll be sitting on the sidelines watching.
1: <laughs> you'll be commentating. You'll you'll have the next kid who'll be going, "Wow, Zach's commentating my race, and I watched <laughs> his race in, in, in Tokyo." Which obviously now, Paris, obviously less than two years away. I I did see another interview with you sort of about sort of that, that focus, that drive moving forward. But I mean, given that you've got the world record, you've got the Olympic, you've got the Commonwealth, you've got the world. I mean, you've got all these sort of ones off the bucket list. Is the drive just to keep pushing yourself, what you've talked a lot about in this interview of just doing the best you can do and and seeing how far you can take it and push that towards Paris?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's always been the focus. Um, And continually will be the focus. I think it's different because, you know, like, you, like I had a recipe, I guess, going in, and I was following a process and following a recipe that was based on a few people's race plans um, and knowing my strengths and my weaknesses and knowing where I could hold and fold, I guess, um, in terms of the two breasts. Now I go into a position where I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel or anything like that, but suddenly like I'm in the front of the pack, leading the pack of like where you're pushing beyond. Um, and I know there'll be other people out there doing the same thing as I'm doing and writing down similar, similar race plans to what I think is possible. Um, so yeah, like I think I'm not unaware of that, but it's just, it's just a different feeling I think. And something that like last year I was probably fearful of. Um, and I was very lucky that my, it was actually my nutritionist said to me, she said, don't be scared of scared of that. You should be liberated by your success because that success doesn't define you but like allows you to be whoever you want to be and no one can ever take that away from you. It's wow. as simple as that. So yeah. for me, that was really powerful and really important for me to realize that I shouldn't be fearful of pushing to the next level. I should be liberated by the success of what's happened prior. Um, so yeah, that's something... Uh, it's had to be a different way to look at it, obviously.
1: Very inspirational today, Zach. I didn't, I honestly didn't come into this uh, episode today thinking that I'd be so inspired, but um, you know, I, I'm, I'm waiting for this podcast. I definitely think you need to, uh, to get it up and running because uh, I'd, I'd definitely be tuning in with everything. Couple of things. We'll wrap it up with a set of fun sort of get to nice questions. Always ask, our guests on the show, what you do with your medals, and obviously should have mentioned you got a bronze as well in the uh, the mixed relay as well. But uh, do you? Yeah, no
0: one no one cares about the bronze, but no, you know well, it was Let's the talk first about the bronze. Time. Fuck
1: the gold. Um. <laughs> yeah.
0: It was the first first time it's been in the Olympics too, so yeah. like it was pretty special to be in that race. Like I wasn't expecting to go in racing that race but we ended up racing we we, we a had
1: a lot of it's funny you mentioned that because one of our co-hosts on the show colin wasn't the biggest fan of the mixed events and whereas jared other co-host, and i we loved them i thought they were fascinating so i'm glad they added them to the olympics because they were great to watch
0: yeah it's just a different event something and i think like it was really cool to be a part of then jewel in the pool this year because yeah. they experimented with a few more of those things so they did like mixed freestyle which is an event at world championships and commonwealth games um and obviously they did mixed medleys but they also did able body and para athlete oh nice which was a really cool and then they did handicaps based on categorizations um which was really really cool to see like um how that was integrated um so for me like i guess at the end of the day like for me when you are talking to from a commercial or from a public average Joe's point of view, you go like, well, is the race entertaining? Like, are you willing to tune in again and again? Like, yeah. And for me, like, it's not traditional and it's not all of that, but it is really entertaining to watch, like watching based on each country's strengths. That's where you like, yeah that's where you can like play around with male, female, female, male, et cetera, et cetera. Then, say, like,
1: the, the, the unknown of it too, like, as you say, cause it's like you might have one event where like you're in the pool up against somebody who's not the best in breaststroke, but then all of a sudden they're putting their butterfly swimmer in and they're going to be so much fun. And like, it's just that that closing of the gap and then you hope that they all sort of come together at the wall at the same time, right at the
0: end. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's like the unique part of it. And it's something different, but I, I enjoy them. And it's really fun to race them as well. Like you never, you, you don't have the opportunity to race like with the female team very often. Um, so it's really cool to be able to do that. Um, I think the other thing that's is really cool and probably not so much a problem for Australia, but you know, like one of my main competitors, Arno, um, from the Netherlands, he, he, they actually don't have enough male athletes to swim a male relay. Wow. They simply, they only have like eight, eight or nine people on the team. Yeah. Um, So like their mixed relay is like their one relay they can do. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, for those kind of countries that are like pretty decent at swimming and have a few decent athletes, like it's really really cool to be able to see them be able to race a team event at at a a swimming, swimming event at the Olympics or Commonwealth games or wherever it is. So it's actually in that respect to, it's also a little bit more inclusive and a little bit, yeah, different.
1: Helps out. Why? Why isn't there a breaststroke relay? Why can't we have the the four by one hundred? You know, mixed gender breaststroke relay.
0: I think we'd get a fly or a
1: backstroke really first, if i <laughs> Come on. Yeah, who cares about them? Like, you know? And also, where's the 1,500-meter breaststroke? Is that possible?
0: Oh, no. No, it's, <laughs> it's possible, but um, I'm not doing that. No. We have a few crazy people, but yeah. Yeah, I'm not doing that. i
1: just see the, the distance. Actually, the one thing with breaststroke, uh, the whistle, the whole, like, you know, down, up, whistle, down, oh, up, yeah. whistle. Is that helpful or is it a hindrance? Like, do you love that or do you fucking you can't hate really-
0: you can't really hear it to be fair. Like you can just hear a whistle. You right. don't know whether it's for you or for someone else, but my coach doesn't whistle. So I know it's not for me, but it's, it's for your stroke rate. So a lot of our racing strategy wise, it's for like to a stroke rate. so we'll train often, like this is the rate we need to hit for on average for a 200 brush stroke. And this is the time. So then when you're racing, if you're below that rate, that's when you hear the whistle. So like right. people trying to rev them up, um, makes sense here oh. i am
1: just the, the the dumb fan thinking it's just like the cowbells in alpine skiing it's just some sort of tradition that the the crowd get involved in because it just it sounds cool Let, let's do it so i just thought it was just people in the crowd going like mm. like every single time you're stroking but it actually means yeah. something okay here
0: yeah yeah
1: all right the things you learn on this show. Uh, the stamp, I mentioned the stamp. Did your mum and dad get like all the stamps and just like, you know, cover them with letters and do you still sort of get a stamp every now and then with your face? Oh, shit, there I am on my bill. There it is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I don't get many letters. With it. Post sent me a framed version of the of the stamps, which was pretty cool, but um, mum definitely got some, dad got some and sent me a letter. And then uh, I had like one of my good mates, Sam Williamson, who was, at Commonwealth Games, um, he like, sent me a letter congratulating me after the Games like with like the whole envelope covered in stamps. And it's like, <laughs> oh, this is weird. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't think you sort of expect that because I, I don't think any Olympian goes into an Olympics and goes, oh, I'm going to win a gold because I want to be on a stamp. Like that's not yeah. probably goal number one when you go to an Olympic Games. Nah. You probably not don't quite, even realise it, do you, until you go, oh, fuck yeah, I want a stamp. Oh. That's odd. Yeah.
0: Well, like Mac, Mac was the first person that told me. I had no idea. He's like, oh, so you know you're going to be on a stamp. I was like, what? <laughs> Like, oh, okay, cool. Great, cool. cool. Random, but cool.
1: I I, I love the weird tradition of that. Like, it's actually really epic to think of different countries and how they honor their Olympic champions. And I think we might be the only country that it was, I don't know. I think in England, they get a post box, don't they? I know in London, they all got like a gold post box in the hometown. So I don't know if they still do that.
0: But um, in certain countries,
1: you get lots of money. So
0: um, yeah, you get money. You get, there's countries you get given a house, mm. you get given a pension in some countries. Yep, yep. That would be very nice.
1: In some countries, yeah. if by winning gold, it just means you stay alive, um, because obviously some yeah. there's a you know yeah, unfortunately so the other side of the spectrum. But um, stamps, yeah. why not? Let's let's keep the stamps. Zach, coffee. Talk to me about coffee. Where does this love come from? Uh, what should I be drinking? What's the hot coffee right now that uh people should be uh getting on board with?
0: Uh, I mean, for me, it's it, I I love filter coffee. So I typically only have milk coffee if I'm out. At like a decent cafe, but yeah, I typically only have a milk coffee when I'm out having a really decent coffee. Um, but at home, I'm always drinking filter. So that's black coffee in a V60 or a pour setup. setup. Um, so for me, it's probably the love of the process. So there's a lot of variables that go into coffee. Um, so it's not just putting, grinding coffee and putting it through a machine. Like uh, a lot of people think like there's a lot of variables and a lot of a bit of science to it as well. Um, So for me, filter coffee, you can vary water, which is a bit of a a, a rabbit hole you can go down. um, But you can also do grind size, water temperature, and brew method or brew vessel. Um, So And then number of pours. So you're typically just pouring water through coffee. That's the simplest version of it. Um, But the way you pour the, whether it's number of pours um, and the vessel it's in. So you can go from a cone dripper or a flat bottom dripper. Um, Sounds then, like a song.
1: Wasn't that a queen song, <laughs> flat bottom dripper?
0: Uh. Yeah, something like that. Flat, <laughs> flat bottom girls, isn't it?
1: Yeah, <laughs> similar, you know, often confused.
0: Yeah. And then you can also do temperature. Um, so for me, that's where the, the love comes out of that process and chasing the best cup. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think like tasting really unique coffees all over the world has been fun. Um, I think part of it comes from out of necessity as you go through high school and the end of high school, like not sleeping too much and studying lots and training lots. Um, caffeine was definitely a necessity. And then you kind of fall into this thing of like, oh, I need to drink coffee out of necessity. And then I kind of was like, well, I want to make it worthwhile. I'd love to drink good coffee. Um, so I started with an AeroPress. Um and then moved pretty quickly to filter coffee and a good filter setup. And then, yeah, and now I haven't really looked back. Like I love, I normally travel with basically a pouring kettle. So that's like a gooseneck kettle um, that I just pour boiling water into. Uh, a grinder set of scales, a flat bottom dripper because it's metal so it doesn't break. It's easy to travel with. And a whole heap of filters and all different coffees. So Tokyo, for example, I was pretty prepped. So I had all my coffee frozen in vacuum sealed bags, like 20 grand bags. So I had like, I think I had like 10 different coffees, all different flavor profiles. And there was a barista.
1: The AOC had a barista, that poor barista, you weren't getting any, he wasn't serving you at all. You're like, screw you mate, I've got my own. (laughs) You should have been the barista. You should have been Uh, doing that job.
0: Not quite, not quite, but (laughs) yeah, uh, I don't know. Yeah. So for me, Like at the Olympics, I had like a special coffee that I was only drinking for finals, um, which was like, I don't know, it's become a bit of a ritual. Like I have a really high-end or unique coffee that will only be for the finals. So I have something for the heat, something. I normally have two coffees in the afternoon. Wow. That will be the coffee that like goes with me. It's just like, I don't know, sense of occasion.
1: So it's not not something that necessarily helps. It's just like, oh, this is tradition. I'm in a final, so drink my favourite, basically.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow! And like, it's so like wow. For example, you're making
1: me really um, upset. The fact that I just had a cup of Nest Cafe before this interview, Zach. I think I need to rethink yeah. my setup.
0: Yeah, it's a sin. It's a sin.
1: <laughs> Sorry, you can hang up now if you want to. I uh, you know, uh, moved up from international roast,
0: though, so I'll say. Yeah, fair enough. Which,
1: which is good. yeah.
0: I think uh, there's an AFL player that does specialty instant. Oh, I can't remember his name specialty. now? I think he plays for the Demons.
1: Okay, right. So, Mac yeah, would like instant. It.
0: Yeah, instant coffee is simply just freeze dried coffee um, for anyone that doesn't realize it's just like a either just, espresso
1: it's cheap and easy. That's just what I look it at it.
0: <laughs> yeah. So typically it's just a black coffee. That's just freeze dried. So dehydrated under cold temperature under a vacuum. Um, so, so you're
1: never caught dead drinking instant basically, unless it's like uh, absolutely have to. Yeah. There's No other choice.
0: I have, um, they're not very big in Australia, but they're massive in Japan. They have something called coffee parachutes basically like you rip the top off and pour boiling water through coffee still, but right. like they normally have nitrogen gas in them, so they last like two years. So I have like five or six of them in the car just in case. Just in case. Just in case we, in case we run into a situation where we have boiling <laughs> water but not but not a uh, not a reliable coffee source.
1: You you um, would have you would have my mum, I never forget we, you know, just avid international roast connoisseur. And we'd go out and we'd go to a cafe and you'd get proper coffee. She'd have a sip of it, two sips in. Oh, can't wait to go home and have real coffee. It's like, Mom, you were drinking real coffee right now. This yeah, is, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, the, the other way around. But I, I love the 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 subtleties of it and everything you can do it because it's just sounds yeah. like something. I mean, I looked at your Instagram. You've got a whole section there just on, on coffee love and everything. So you must be really easy to buy for Christmas then basically. People are just always buying you different coffee things.
0: Uh, I mean, I'm fairly eccentric too though, I guess. So I have like niches, I guess. I'm very, Mac Mac, Mac calls me the king of niches. He just <laughs> loves that I like fall into a niche and that's, I go down a massive rabbit hole. But coffee's oh, been one of actually... for you,
1: Zach. Podcasting is for you, trust me.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> coffee's, coffee's one of them where I've gone down and really stuck to it because um, i found more and more nuance and the industry is really developing. So for example, like something that, like has, I've had exposure to over the last year, two years is um, something called infused coffee. Okay. So it's been happening a lot in wine. So coffee is actually a cherry. So, and the way they get that cherry off the coffee dictates a lot of the flavor to the final cup. So you can do everything from just simply washing it off. Um, you can ferment it off basically in sunbeds. You can put it in a cold chamber you can, one of the ways they're doing it now is with rice yeast. Wow. <laughs> um, those kind of things. Um, so like, yeah, the way you get to the final cup dictates a lot of the flavor. But the infused coffee kind of piggybacked a lot of what wine's been doing for a long time is like basically getting the yeast that they ferment it with and pre-fermenting that with, say, peaches, passion fruit, strawberry, cinnamon, really acidic. Um is what they've tried a lot of because I think there's a fair bit of, without going into too much detail, a lot of what oh, your palate tastes to all, is. is Oh, this acid. is
1: fascinating, Zach. Bugger the Olympics. This is uh, let's uh, welcome to off the coffee pot right now with Ben and Zach. <laughs> this is fun.
0: Yeah. So it's like, yeah, a lot of your palate is dictated by acid um, and uh, those kind of things. So, yeah. So for me, that's been really interesting in like introducing people to those things and they're like, this doesn't taste like coffee. Like, yeah. We're in Sydney for Jewel in the Pool um, and we went out to a place called the Chinese Country Club. It's an amazing little cafe that's just like espresso filter, high-end stuff, but like then a closed shop. Like it's really cool. Most comfortable couches ever too as well. So anyone <laughs> in Sydney, just make sure you go have a look there and, and um, stop by. But they have what they call a reserve menu, which is frozen coffees. And I knew they had brew coffee there. Um And he recently did a peach infusion that was all sold out. Wow! That took like Mac and a few others there, and was like, "Try this; it like will blow your mind." And he was like, "Oh, it tastes like warmed up iced tea, like peach iced tea." And he was like, "This doesn't make sense. <laughs> this is coffee." And I think that was one of the one of the things that pushed him over the edge to to uh, get a filter set up. But you know, like we did the same thing in Paris, where like we we're out with a few people, like Emma, Cody, Mac. Zach and Serdy, and like they had uh, the place called Motors, and I knew they had some decent reserve filter menu. And again, frozen coffee um, that's frozen, and then you just brew it uh, frozen when it's like peaked. And they just like, like this, it tastes like lemonade. It's like, <laughs> it's like, so there's like a lot of nuance in coffee that, you know, that people don't realize that there is the ability for coffee to taste really unique. Um, and really different. So, it's not that that's probably coffee
1: taste basically that everybody associates it with, right?
0: Yeah. Sometimes the burnt, acrid, chocolate, dark, yeah. really dark. Like, typically, all coffee tastes has some chocolate notes in it, um, whether that's milky or chocolatey or et cetera. But yeah, like you can have the nuance of a really light roast um, that tastes really fruity to really veggie mighty, like really fermenty stuff. So, Fascinating. There's, there's there's a real broad spectrum and it's it's something that's fascinating to me and yeah. I really like drinking diverse range of coffee. So I do freeze a lot, so I probably have about two kilos frozen. Um freezes
1: is always full of coffee, by the way. Where's the chicken? Don't yeah. I buy in the coffee?
0: Uh- <laughs> in like in like um twenty gram tubes, all like I bought a label maker after. This wow. year, I was like, oh, I need to stop writing handwriting at all. I need to, like, get oh, a-
1: any excuse for a label maker. Don't you've sold me now, Zach? This is like, it's i unreal. I'm always on board for a label maker. That's fascinating. So fascinating. Yeah. That's that's absolutely critical. I mean, the obvious question would you start your own roaster? Would you start your own, like, uh, coffee shop?
0: Maybe we'll see. Uh, maybe by the time this airs, I might have something on the go, but um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I think, like, I'm doing some, some, uh, what do they call it? reconnaissance, Mm -hmm. reconnaissance, that's the word Um, at the moment, just to see whether I could do it and whether it's something I'd be interested in. Um, It's definitely like a natural progression in coffee um, to get into roasting or all the competition side of it. But I don't think I'd be quite there for the competition side. I don't think I have enough time to do the competition side, but roasting once or twice a week and just doing really small batch stuff um, would be really fun, I think, and something that I'd really enjoy.
1: There's an Olympic sport. If breakdancing is going to be an Olympic sport, where's coffee roasting? That should be out there. Uh, co-
0: coffee, coffee, there is coffee competitions. Yeah. A lot of people don't realise there's like world championships for coffee competitions and coffee, uh, well, actually, as we speak, which I'm not sure when this will air, but um, as we're talking, there's a Melbourne International Coffee Expo. Wow. So, um, which is like I think there's a competition there. Um but, yeah, there was Australian champs a couple of weeks ago for the Brewers' Cup, and then that's that's all about flavour. Um, so trying to get the best expression well, of coffee.
1: How, how many Olympic champions have gone on to be world champions in coffee? I mean, there's a goal, Zach. Just saying. <laughs> you could be the first, you know? Uh,
0: I think I think it almost takes just about just about the same amount of work on a world <laughs> championship brewer. Um, I met the guy not that long ago that got fourth in the world, and he was such a great... Such a cool guy, Carlos, who works for Toby's Estate, and yeah, the the amount of work that he said they went into it before and after work, whilst working full time, and then also like um, the the expense and everything that to get over there is is uh, pretty mind-boggling. Like I think he said they shipped three hundred kilos of water.
1: Three? of What? Wow. Okay. Jeez. Just water. So Just like water.
0: Before, before, like just because they knew that that was the water that like was perfect for the coffee like that's the incredible that they have to wow like,
1: jeez Zach you, you need like, to start a podcast on this I, I, I'm, I'm I'm hooked listening to this this is like just a different and again I'm not gonna drink my nest cafe after this interview I'll um <laughs> do something a little bit different with that um we're gonna wrap up you in Hobart you should, I'm in Hobart. Uh,
0: okay, too. um born in Brunswick
1: born in I think I know where that is I thought
0: Yes. Because I was going to ask you,
1: was there a good coffee in Hobart?
0: Because uh, you down know. the street, I can't remember the name of it. Born, yes. Down the street from there, there's another one. It's just a little hole in the wall. and It was really cool. Brewster loves everyone, knows all the locals. They're both in North Adelaide.
1: Um, North Hobart or North Adelaide? Are you? North Hobart. I was going to say, uh, it's a, it's a bit of a trek to North Adelaide from Hobart, but I mean, you know, uh, I, there was one that I used to go to when I worked in the city. Cause I, I mean, I, I'll be honest with you, I haven't lived here for a while, so I'm sort of back here at the moment, but, uh, I, yeah, 15 years ago, I'm talking about, I don't even remember the name of it. But for me, it was good coffee, Zach. I don't know. You might take a sip of it and go, well, what the fuck is this? Um, I won't mention that I worked for Starbucks at one point too because that will probably also make you hang up. Oh, that's uh,
0: right. At least, yeah. at least they're bringing coffee to the world, hey? Yeah,
1: exactly, exactly. Uh, we wrap up every interview, Zach, with a set of get-to-know-you-style questions. As always, this is a questionnaire that Team Canada gave their athletes ahead of both Rio and Pyeongchang. And as always, a completely optional element if you're bored today and you want to do some homework, you can draw. There are three drawing elements which are completely optional. You can draw a picture of yourself. You can draw a picture of a Canadian animal or an Australian animal, whichever tickles your fancy. And the coolest ever Olympic medal. And I'm using the questionnaire given here to Emily Overholt, and she drew a picture of a pizza as a medal. So um, don't know if you've ever thought about what an Olympic medal could look different to the one you've already got. It's a nice-looking medal, so... Uh,
0: Yep. Very nice looking medal.
1: Comple- completely. <laughs> I've actually, I will say uh, you worked how many years to get an Olympic medal all that time. I spent $10 on wish. So um, for those are walking the video one right now, not um, it, it, it's not, it's pretty decent. Um, I, I feel like I could just walk around going, right. Hey, look at me. I'm an Olympic champion. Uh, maybe people would believe me, but then they'd probably look at me and realize that I'm full of shit. But anyway, um, (laughs) if, 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 you know, just saying if you want to retire and still win an Olympic medal in Paris, you can just buy one off Wish for 10 bucks. Just an idea there. Uh, All right, let's start off with a question. First question, the greatest Olympian of all time is? Phelps. Phelps. Easy. Boom. Have you ever like bumped? Does he just hang around swimming circles? Do you ever get a chance to bump into him?
0: No, I've never met him. I'd love to meet him, but yeah, he's an elusive character. Because
1: obviously Tokyo, the first, what, time since Atlanta that he'd not been at the Olympics. So, um, at least competing, I should say. I don't know if he Mm. was there commentating. Uh, The first, I think you kind of answered this before, the first Olympics you remember watching was?
0: I remember watching Phelps in 2008. but. I don't think I was, like, all about it. I don't think if that makes sense, like, all over it. (laughs) Didn't quite
1: know sort of what you were sort of watching. Have you ever watched, like, did you get into the Winter Olympics much? Like, is that something that you sort of get on board with?
0: Um, Occasionally. I mean, like, I did enjoy watching, I don't think it was this year's one, it was the one before, Mm -hmm. Um, which was, yeah, interesting to watch. It's just different. It's very, yeah. It's pretty cool to watch. I think I watch like watching the snowboarding and those kind of things um, that probably you can relate a little bit more to, like some of the other things I like. I've never skied, so, like, I've got no idea. Like
1: <laughs> <laughs> that That's not a transition. You, you go into the Coffee World Championships before we go to see you in a, an Olympics and skiing potentially in a few years' time. Um, Your favourite ice cream flavour is? Oh, that's super hard.
0: Like I'd say the I'm, tough ones. I'm a vanilla guy, yes. but in not in Hobart, just on the east coast of Tassie, we went to, oh, I can't remember the name of it now, one of the ice creameries, and we had a Leatherwood honey and peach. Ooh, I think. Nice. And it was like unrealistic. Nothing I've like ever tasted before.
1: Was this in a town, or was this kind of you had to go off a highway, you saw like a sign advertising ice cream? Um, we were in a place called near Mole Creek. Okay. Right. Cradle mountain. Cause I know there's a, I know on like, um, one of my favorite places to go when I'm on the East coast, it's just sort of, you see this sign out of nowhere. It's like ice cream next 200 meters or something. So you turn off, it's like a little farmhouse and they've got like an ice cream shed and really good ice cream.
0: Um, yeah, it's across the road. I can't remember the name of it now, but it's across the road from Raspberry Hill.
1: Right, perhaps. okay. There you go. I, I'm a big vanilla ice cream fan. I think vanilla ice cream uh vanilla mm-hmm. If you can do vanilla well, of- you, can do well oh. you, you can do it all well, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, now, you kind of, with the, the way you walk out onto the pool deck now, you sort of get that nice fancy introduction. I don't know if you get music with it though. So, if you were a baseball player, your walk-up music would be. I mean, I don't know. Do you have a song that you walk out onto the pool deck with?
0: Uh, I think it varies each mate. I think like before the Olympics and a lot of this year I was a lot into like Kanye West and like, um, no church in the wild with his mm-hmm. Jay-Z album. But then like, I think later in the year I got into Childish Gambino, a song called Bonfire, which is just like, if anyone knows that song, it's quite aggressive. Okay. <laughs> it's just a very angry music song and like something that I think I was just channeling at that point, just like getting. Angry and up before I race because I think we got quite numb to racing. Um, so yeah, those it, it just varies. I so I was thinking
1: when you said bonfire, I was thinking of that knife party song that they use in Breaking Bad that everybody hates. That scene uh, I I fucking love that scene, but uh, different <laughs> different genres of music there. Uh, in a movie about your life, who would play you?
0: Oh, that's a tough one too. Hmm. Um. I don't know. I don't know many actors to be fair though. Yeah. You can play yourself. What's his name from? No. no. <laughs> no. That's a hard no. Um, what's his name? He's in Looper, the main character in Looper.
1: Oh, um, yep. Yep. <laughs> that guy. That guy. Him or um, the Remy Malik? Oh, yes. That's a good one. Remy Mal- Yeah. I can see that. Um, trying to see here if I can just, uh, you know, this is the joys of podcasting where I could probably edit this out, but I'm not going to because I'm lazy. Um, Looper, <laughs> Joseph Gordon-Levitt. That's the guy that we are all thinking of right now, of course. Uh, or Bruce Willis. I mean, maybe Bruce. No, no. Nah. <laughs> Not quite going so there. Okay, right? we're good. Yes. <laughs> uh, your guilty pleasure snack is, and don't say coffee because that's not guilty. You're proud and out with that one.
0: I'm a big fan of, Croissants, like a croissant, a good croissant at a cafe, or the in brizzy there's there's something called holy crumpets, and they're like crumpets like the size of a piece of toast, but like nice, thick as two pieces of toast. They're unreal. That sounds good to me. Yeah, one one of those two things would probably make guilty pleasure. But actually, in Hobart, uh, in Launceston, there's a place called Bread and Butter. Okay. I don't often rit, frequent rit. that
1: city because, as a southerner, we don't often go north much. Um, but I, if I'm there Very for good. Uh, reasons against my will, I will check it out.
0: Uh- <laughs> yes, I had a walnuts croissant from there. Which
1: nice, was unreal. Had you been to Tasmania before, or was it your first time visiting? first time which is awesome Loved and it. It was, this is a thing i love about people coming here now cuz 10 years ago you'd say i'm from tasmania that's scoff at you why would i go there now it's like everybody's <laughs> wanting to come here all the time it's like it's it's strange to have people actually wanting to come here so uh,
0: yeah it's a i guess it i don't think it's for everyone though to be fair like i think if you're if you like the big cities mm. i don't think it's for you mm-hmm. but if you enjoy the countryside and enjoy seeing farm-to-table produce um, and the ability to go see the farm or drive past the farm or sometimes have like farm sheds where you can go in. Um, That is what it's all about.
1: Exactly. Did you do Mona? I'm guessing you did Mona.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to lie. I was a little disappointed with Hobart. Oh, really? Oh, with Hobart in general? Okay. I really enjoyed the rest of Tassie. But Hobart, we're like, oh, we could have probably spent less time here. And
1: can I ask what it was particularly about Hobart that you didn't enjoy?
0: I don't know. I don't want to offend the Hobart. It's all right. Either. Both of
1: us are listening. It's all good. We're here. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've spent my entire think, life being mean to my home city, Zach, so you're not going to offend me. It's all. I good. think
0: it was just like for me, for example, here's an example first. Sydney is a big city. Yep. Melbourne is a big city. Mm-hmm. And they're not trying to be a small town. Hobart was trying to be a big city but it's a small town that's like a small city
1: I I, I would agree with that because it's it's the Mona effect Zach I would just say that <laughs> and the fact that I mean I was living away for a few years and you come back and you literally go into places and you're like why do I feel like I'm trying to be in Melbourne right now this doesn't yeah. feel right and it's never always been like this so yeah it's um I, I, I did a enjoy good it. Summary. there's that's,
0: some good 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 spots definitely there but I think like I couldn't, I don't know if I could see myself living there, but I could see myself living like Bishno way or those, those kind of places are really, really beautiful. And, and like got enough there that you can,
1: you can live. It's uh, a Shane Gould lives uh, in Bishno. I didn't know if you are caught up with Shane, is that like a thing like Olympic gold medalist or Olympic gold medalist? (laughs) Go rub shoulders. She's a survivor player now, of course, survivor winner. So uh, maybe she's forgotten her Olympic roots. Um, your, the most recent TV show that you binge-watched
0: is? I hadn't watched Big Mouth until recently. It's good, isn't it? Which is quite good to watch. Yeah, yep. very funny. Um, obviously, I've been keeping up with House of Dragon and the Lord of the Rings prequel. Mm-hmm. So that's been a lot on my plate as it is. So, you know. There's a couple of hours a week already.
1: Yeah. There's, there's always so much, so isn't it? It just never ends. You, you think you've caught up on something and then something else comes on and you're just like, oh, God.
0: like. Yeah, and then my partner, she she's, hasn't seen Vampire Diaries and I've like, watched it wow. a few times now. I, so um... I was like, oh, I think we should watch it again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> See, this is where I, um, on one of our other podcasts we do, we just finished covering Lost and I'm a big Ian Summerholder fan and I actually had a, a boon from Lost T-shirt. So if I'd have known that. Could have been sitting here with a boon Ian Summerholder shirt there to the <laughs> the vampire diaries life going on there. Never thought I'd wear that on off the podium. Um what is your <laughs> biggest fear in life? Oh, let's get deep here, Zach. Your biggest fear in life.
0: Um I think my biggest fear in life is regret, I think. And the it's pretty deep, I guess, and philosophical, like the regret that i won't live life to the fullest and i often find myself itching If i'm just sitting at home doing nothing i find myself itching to get out and do something and not necessarily conquer the world but get out and and do something um so that's probably my biggest fear
1: i this episode has gone a lot deeper than i thought it would be so i think
0: you're on the right page
1: um growing up who was your favorite sports team
0: wow I think like I was a big Socceroos fan, and mm-hmm. obviously like growing up when Socceroos were playing really well with yep. Tim Cahill and that whole crew, um, that was obviously like a big part. And then like I think growing up in Queensland, we don't have it as much in a Tasmanian sense, but you grow up a lot with NRL um, and just by osmosis hear about NRL. Um, and then obviously with Darren Lockyer and Origin and stuff, you definitely get around it at that time. Um, and I think. I followed a lot more – I followed a bit of AFL because Dad was from Victoria. Um, Who's
1: his team? So, Who's his team, Zach?
0: Oh, you don't want to know. that.
1: Yeah, I do. I do. I definitely do. He's a co-language Oh, well, thanks for joining us, like. Zach. Uh, as a cult <laughs> supporter, I'm still very dirty over that one-point loss recently. So. Um,
0: yeah, well, you the – my uncle, he's a he's a Carlton supporter. Oh, your uncle's Sorry, a smart man. A, there you go, Carlton hey. supporters. But then my granddad was a Geelong supporter, and so was my auntie. So okay, there's a full spectrum down south. It's um, in Victoria. definitely
1: that way. So you don't then transition over to like the Lions or something when you're in Brisbane, or is it? I've of- been
0: following the Lions a bit, and was lucky I went to the Lions Richmond game. Um, nice, which was really, really, really cool to see. Um, yeah. I, I,
1: I lived in Brisbane for a little bit um, and I went to a bunch of lines. I actually got more on the Suns train just because I, I liked Metricon and I ended up somehow in the cheer squad and it was just fun being with this sort of like group of people who – you know, you get there and you're like, oh, I've got a confession to make. I'm a Carlton supporter. I'm like, oh, that's right. right. I'm a Sydney supporter. She's a, you know, Geelong supporter. She's a St Kilda supporter. We're here because we're supporting our team and we want this to work on the Gold Coast. So it's kind of like a nice little community atmosphere on like a, a bigger scale. So um, mm-hmm. I, I, I love the, the what they do with football in both Brisbane and the Gold Coast. It's, uh, it's better than, it's not as good as Melbourne, but it's probably the best I've experienced uh, outside of, of Melbourne.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's just different, I guess, because in Sydney you have a lot more NRL supporters and and cricket. Um, I guess the AFL, Troy don't get as much love in Sydney, but they do have two teams now and they have a team for grand final. So hopefully that will progress them a bit more. And obviously the Lions and the Suns are getting better and better each year. And the Lions definitely re sparked that that AFL in Queensland.
1: You would have been what like two or three when they were doing the three-peat, right? So I don't think you'd probably remember that. I
0: uh, uh, I mean, I remember after that, like Michael Walsh and mm. Jason Akamanis and those kind of, those big household names and, you know. It's funny how it's all coming back though, like the mullets and the blonde hair. It's it's
1: weird. Have you attempted to grow a mullet? said mullets and swimming? No. Is this like a thing?
0: I mean, Matt Temple rocks for a long time, but yeah, I mean,
1: nah, it's not as much stream streamlining. I think, like aerodynamically, it probably wouldn't help underneath the uh the, the old swim cap, maybe or. <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> I just, just, I don't think don't think Cam Smith in golf has, has started them. Like it's just, it's it's insane how it's coming back. That's another story. Yeah. All right. last question for you, Zach. What is one thing and I might know the answer to this? What is one thing you can't live without?
0: I mean. I actually think I could live without coffee. Okay. Because when I was in Tassie, I was only having one a day. Oh, Not my usual. Cut four. down, Zach.
1: Well done.
0: Yeah, I did it. I did better. and got, got rid of the headaches, got rid of the morning coffee headaches. <laughs> um. So, yeah, maybe coffee, but I think, I don't know. I think I struggled without sun for a long time. I think that's something I would struggle if I went to Tassie, the... The Queensland
1: Sun. Yes, and 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 it burns you a little bit more down here because we're closer to the ozone hole rather than the humidity. Which when I lived in Queensland, God, it was winter, and people were like, "Oh, it's freezing!" It's like it's nineteen degrees and like sixty percent humidity. What are you complaining about? Spend a winter in Tassie and tell me what you think about cold. Then, um, yeah, Zach, yeah. it's it's been so much fun learning everything about your career and everything outside of it too. So fascinating. could talk to you for so long about everything with that. If, if people want to follow you sort of between now, Paris, beyond uh, Instagram, social media, do you, do you have a coffee blog? I mean, come on, I feel like you need to have something coffee related out there.
0: Uh, not yet. We'll see. We'll see what happens over the next little while, but um, yeah, I mean the best place is Instagram. That's where, that's where most of my journey is published and most of my journey happens. And hopefully I can get a few things off the ground and, and get a bit more of that journey out there and and hopefully pursue a bit more of the passion outside of swimming as well.
1: Well, we'll be keeping an eye I've got to play this one more time because I never get a chance to do this. Basil, We can all go
0: gobbledygook for Zach's double cook
1: It gets me excited every time I hear that, Zach. Absolute pleasure to have you on the show, mate, and we'll be uh, keeping an eye on between uh, now and Paris and beyond, and we'll get you back on with a couple more gold medals around your neck and a few more coffee uh, blogs and podcasts between now and then too.
0: Too easy. Thank you very much for having me.
1: And a massive, massive thanks there to Zach for his time learning so much about it one more time basil
0: we can all go gobbledygook for zach stubbledy cook
1: gotta do it um just gotta do it and you heard me of course in that interview allude to the fact that we will have basil on the show basil i've recorded an interview with basil uh it won't be for a couple of months yet but get excited because that is coming and we obviously talk a little bit about zach stubbledy cook in that one stubletty cook we will have to try and remember that moving forward it's Not cook. It's Stubletti cook so just moving forward with that but so much insight into zach there the challenges overcoming the disappointment of gold coast in 2018 and moving forward towards tokyo and just fascinating getting that insight into how overwhelming that village life can be and how that helped to prepare him for what would be a bit of a bigger experience as you mentioned there in tokyo moving forward and good to see that he'd been to tassie and Hobart, not for everybody. That's fine. As I said in that chat, I've spent the majority of my life ripping into my uh, home city, so uh, that that's fine. That's that's all good, Zach. We we can understand that with that one there. If you want to see the video interview of that, of course, YouTube hit us up on there. Search for off the podium, and you will be able to check out the video version of that chat, as well as all of our previous other interviews that we've had for you in a very bumper. 2022 this is our last episode for 2022 which i'll get to in just a moment but of course uh, while you're on youtube hit subscribe Let us know what you think of the show. Leave us some comments and feedback as well. Same on all our other podcast platforms for audio. If you want to check out some of those great chats that we've got going on there in the audio form, as well as our our great episodes and our interviews, of course, World Cup coverage, ranking the logos, ranking the medals, our previous coverage from earlier in the year to do with Beijing, all of that sort of stuff. So obviously you can find that on our podcast channels and social media off the podium that's what we're called if you didn't know and you can find us on there let us know what you think of the show stay up to date with what we've got coming up and who we've had on in the past and we'd always love to hear from you as well let us know if you've got a guest you'd like us to try and track down for the show an idea for an episode or anything along those lines so uh, obviously we'd uh, definitely appreciate that along the way but as i mentioned last show for 2022 this is it We're done for the year, given that we're basically at the end of the year anyway. It's only two more days until the new year, so it's not really that much of a surprise. But we are here, obviously, to wish you a safe and happy new year moving into 2023 and to let you know that we have a massive 2023 coming for you. Obviously, I alluded to that we've got a Basil Zemplis interview coming in 2023. But at the time of recording this, we've banked a, a good number of interviews. I'm going to say about 20 to 30 interviews, to be precise, for you. And so many interviews that we have for you, that at least for the first few months of the year, possibly for the whole year, maybe it'll slow down towards the second half of the year, but at least for the first half of the year, we will be bringing you two episodes a week. Remember before Beijing, when we were doing multiple episodes a week, I think we were doing daily episodes, weren't we, in the lead up to Beijing, well, we're going back to double episodes a week. And I will say that the first episode, which you're actually going to hear in a few more days time, is a massive one to kick off 2023. I like to tease... I like to get you a little bit excited, but I'm just going to go all the way out and tell you who it is going to be. Andrew Hoy. That is right. The man himself, the eight-time Olympian, the most ever appearances by an Australian ever at the Olympics. He's won six Olympic medals, was winning medals at Tokyo as a 62-year-old. Can you believe it? This guy has done it all, and he will be on this show in just a couple of days' time. And not only is it Andrew freaking Hoy, our very first equestrian athlete on the show. We've never spoken to somebody from equestrian before. And what a way to do it. What a way to get started by getting Andrew Hoy. That'd be like if we started swimming with Michael Phelps, with Ian Thorpe, Emma McKeon. You start at the top and you work your way down. I mean, I don't know how we're ever going to top getting Andrew Hoy when we speak to our next equestrian athlete, but we'll, we'll try our best. So that is our next episode. And following Andrew Hoy, we have another Olympic champion in the sport of bobsleigh. I will leave it at that. Following that, we have another media identity that is not Basil. Basil will come a little bit later in 2023, but another prominent Australian media identity who many Australians will know. And after that, we return to the sport of freestyle skiing where we talk to an Olympic medalist in freestyle skiing. So we've got a big bunch of interviews to kick off your 2023 with medalists, personalities, you name it. They're out there. Remember to subscribe to the show. You'll never miss an episode. Thanks to everybody who's tuned in in 2023. It's obviously, uh, 2022, i am jumped the gun. 2022, it's been a massive year for us here and Off the Podium. We had an Olympics to cover, of course. Remember Beijing? That was the beginning of this year, folks. Uh, obviously, a big thing for that. You obviously remember the World Cup because that's just finished for us there. But we became an award-winning podcast in 2022. So we really need to thank every single one of you listening back in the early part of the year when you were voting for us. We really do appreciate that, and obviously it means a lot to us to be able to do that. So I'm going to give you all a round of applause for that. So thank you very much to everybody involved who uh, voted for us and made 2022 such a big year, our biggest year yet here on Off the Podium, not only in terms of success, listeners, episodes, guests. We've had some amazing guests on this year, and uh, we obviously appreciate every single one of them for coming on in 2022 and every single one of you for tuning in to listening to us here and off the podium, big year and Commonwealth. I didn't even mention the Commonwealth Games. We've covered an Olympics. We've covered a Commonwealth Games. We've covered a World Cup. We've we've covered everything. It's a busy year, 2020, 2022, and we've done it all. 2023, we've got some great interviews, as I said, great episodes. Obviously, we don't really have an Olympics next year. It's our first time in a couple of years we've not had an Olympic Games, but we do have a year preview to the Olympic Games next year. About a year before Paris, we will have a episode looking ahead to Paris. And one thing that I'm excited for next year is that we are looking at covering the Pan Am games. Now, obviously be difficult for Jared and I, given that we're not in that part of the world, but we will aim to do some form of coverage. May, maybe it's just Colin sitting there by himself for two weeks talking about the Pan Ams, but maybe similar to what we did with the Commonwealth games, a couple of episodes here and there, and we'll do some form of coverage of that. And of course, in 2023, there will be a bit of Olympic news happening because we will find out the host of the 2030 Winter Olympics will be decided in 2023. So we will, of course, come together to talk about whoever that will be. Will it be Vancouver? We'll soon see whether or not our two countries that we represent on the show, Canada and Australia, will be hosting an Olympics within a couple of years of each other while, uh, preceding Brisbane, of course, for 2032. Brandy to come. 2023 i'm losing my voice there's so much to get to thanks again for 2022 looking forward to 2023 thanks to zach for his time today thanks for you the listener for tuning in my name is ben this has been off the podium shout out to the birmingham bull and as always remember to go left